This has been um, something that's been birthed in prayer for a long time. And the Lord began to show me you and the hunger and the desire. <coughs> and I couldn't shake it. And he said, this is what I want you to do. And I'm like, you want me to do what? Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm just a woman with a word from the Lord. But he began to show me that Noah himself had a word from the Lord. And he was obedient. And God gave him the blueprint and he gave him the tools to be able to build something he'd never seen and experience something he'd never seen before. Yeah. He was an innovator. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And every time I read about him, he's always counted as just a righteous man. And I'm like, well, why? Well, it was because of his obedience. It was his yes. yes. He said yes. And if I could be the living sacrifice to encourage you to say yes to whatever it is that God has called you to do in this hour, say yes. Here's the thing, you're gonna be misunderstood. No one's gonna get it. You could almost feel like you're alone on the boat. I can only imagine, you know, Noah's hammering. They're like, what is that brother doing? They ain't right, ain't nothing. Right, what's that? He's like, yes, the Lord told me to hammer, so I'm like, hammer. <laughs> but you can be misunderstood. People may walk away. Because they're like, it don't take all that. Why build an ark when you could just get in a sailboat with the rest of us? But God said, the ark. There may be some doors closed, but he opens so many more because of your yes. And so I'm so beyond um, in awe of God because he is a man who does not lie. He promised it. Even when I was like, Lord, nobody registered. You told me. <laughs> but here you all are. You're in the room. Yeah. So God is so faithful. Um, I want to share a little bit. If someone can give me a little bit of water, if, if someone has a chance, that would be great. Um, I just want to share a little bit, something quick, because I believe the Lord really wants to move tonight, and I want to get out of the way. I don't want to talk too much, because I want him to do what he wants to do. Oh. Thank you so much. God bless you. And so I want him to be able to do what he wants to do. He 
orchestrated this, he ordained this, he called you all here. And um, I just want to get out of the way quickly so he can really move. Um, and so when we think about a remnant, it's a pretty strong word, you know? It's not something you throw around every day like you're at Jack in the Box, you're like, I have a remnant and a side of fries. You know, people have never heard of it. They're kind of like, what is that, right? And so it's, it is something though that as you begin to get into your word, because as believers, we should be in our word. We should be deep in our word. That is our blueprint. That's the only way to get to where God wants us to. So I just want to encourage you that if that is not a discipline in your life, make that a discipline. Because here's the thing, if you do read your word and when you do read your word, he says he's coming back. And he's preparing the people to be ready when he comes. Because you see what's going to happen is when he comes, it's going to be the same thing. Oh no. But God wants to raise up a remnant that will recognize his voice and recognize his word and begin to move in sync with him because they understand the word. They understand. They're going to say, oh, this was already promised. That's why when I turn on the news, I'm not tripping because that's already in the word. The word already prepared me for that. Amen. So I want you to, you know, understand that a remnant is in their word. <laughs> they, they, they live it, they breathe it, they walk in it. They, they actually begin to say, Lord, do your word according to your word. Because he promised it according to his word. Amen. So when I began to think about a remnant, now a definition of a remnant is a small remaining quantity of something. And that word just stuck out to me, remain, remain. And I just meditated on that, and he just kind of took me through a little journey here, and I'm going to share that with you. So first, he gave me several scriptures about what it means to remain, because one of the things that the Lord was really showing me is that there's many of you in the room that have been steadfast and movable. You haven't moved. You've been faithful. You've been faithful to him. You've remained despite setbacks and disappointments, loss, um, so many different things, but you've remained. And so when you think about in the Bible, the reason the remnant is so significant is because there were different times when they went through so many different things and there was a small quantity of people that were left over that remained and stood on the promises of God because some, you know, they went buck wild. They sit in and doing a whole bunch of stuff. But that's why the Lord looked to Noah. Because Noah was one that was righteous in the midst of all of that. He said, I, I need one, and he found one. And we could see it throughout the word. There's so many that we can name. You know, Esther, you know, and, and Joseph and David. They stood no matter what, even what was happening, Daniel. And so um, even as I've been preparing for this conference, that's just the Lord just keeps highlighting all these remnants. And so in Isaiah 66, 22, I encourage you, write down some of these scriptures, write them down, take copious notes, as my mentor says, because something happens when you have the word written down. 
it's established. See, the word is established. So when it's written, it, it's like, it's established. So when you begin to write those notes down, you're gonna go back and read them because God is letting you know, this is what I want to establish in your heart. So Isaiah 66, 22 um, in the New King James says, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendant and your name remain. If you look in uh, 1 Corinthians 3.14, it says, If any man's work remains, which he built on it, he will receive a reward. 1 John 2.14, I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I have written in you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God remains in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away with its loss, but he who does God's will remains forever. And then in 1 John 2.27, it says, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is no lie, and even as it is taught to you, you will remain in him. So the Lord is really speaking to you about remaining in him. He took me to John 15. And in the Amplified, specifically John 15, 4, which says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as, so, just as no branch can bear fruit by itself without remaining in the vine, neither can you bear fruit, producing evidence of your faith unless you remain in me. So this remaining is you're attached to the vine. Jesus is the vine. You're connected to him. He is the vine. So uh, he, and he goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. So as remnants, we have to understand that we've got to be attached to Jesus, which means that anything that's contrary to him, you need to detach from. We live in a world where there's a lot of counterfeit. I had shared this story thinking about fruit. I was sharing this with someone and I said, you know, remember when you were a kid and you would go to grandma's house and she had a bowl of fruit on the, on the table, okay? And so you come in, you're like, grandma got fruit, yes. So you go up to the, you know, the bowl of fruit, yeah, I'm gonna get some grapes, cause grandma got fruit. And you go to grab the grapes and they're fake. Did anyone have that, Grandma? Okay, I'm like, cause I, maybe I'm dating myself because I'm real young though. Can you tell by my teacher's girl? I'm super young. But, <laughs> but it wasn't real. Right? From afar, it looked like real fruit. But as I got closer and closer and I began to touch it, to eat of it, it was fake fruit. It was plastic. 
Listen, God is not looking for plastic. He wants you to be as real as he is. Because he's real. Listen, God's not dead. That's a lie. He's very much alive. Very much alive. So when we think about bearing fruit, it's the same thing in our lives. We can't be fake. We have to be real. I had this dream, and Nancy knows what I'm talking about. I had this dream where I just, I, I was having a lot of visions of things. But anyways, someone had touched this gold earring I had on. And they said to me in the dream, you are real. And I remember talking to Nancy, and she's so prophetic and powerful, and she began to interpret the dream. And, you know, she shared with me, you know, there's a lot of people on platforms. But they're not real. And in this hour, for this move, God says, I want real. So I want to encourage you, woman of God, tell your story. No more shame. Tell your story because that's real. People need to know. They don't need to know how much you pray, how much you prophesy, how much you speak in tongues. They need to know that you used to be Ray, you know, what's her name? Rahab. <laughs> but not you from me. <laughs> Amen? I mean, come on. They need to know that you've walked through some things. And the power of God delivered you. And so now you're actually walking in his word, walking in his word, walking in his promises. Because anybody could tell me, hey, you know, God is doing this and but I'm like, I want to be real. I want to see the real transformation. How'd you go from point A to point B? How? Because I could talk and talk. And this is something the Lord really began to talk to me about. Because I rarely would share my testimony. Because of shame. You know, like, oh, you a prayer ninja. If they know that you battled an eating disorder. If they knew that you could barely remember all the people in college? Lord Jesus. What if they knew that you suffered from depression? What if they knew that you wanted to take your life? That was a lie from the pit of hell. Because the word of God says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by what? All right. I got some Bible people up in here. Amen. So tell your story. But let's talk about the, the, those who remain. Those who remain. He just kept talking to me about this. So I want to share in Isaiah 66, 1 through 2, it says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. When the fire burns, the evidence left behind are ashes. So I want you to think about this, right? When there's a fire, the, the evidence of the fire are ashes. That's what's left over. 
That's what remains. But the fire is the evidence of the purifying. And what happens a lot of times is we stay in the ashes. We stay in the ruins and the desolate places because we can't shake the fact that it all burned up. It was lost. It's just a pile of ashes. We can't shake it. So with the ruins, this is what I heard the Lord. He said, the ashes of yesterday will be turned into beauty now. <laughs> the one that will remain has gone through the fire. Anybody gone through the fire? <laughs> My life verse is Romans 12.1. I will present my body as a living sacrifice. Now think about that. I'm willingly saying, Lord, I'm going to stay on this altar. And however hot the heat is, get it. You know what's so powerful about God? He loves the smell of sacrifice. He loves the smell of flesh burning because it means that it's less of you and more of him. You're being purified. Now what happens is that in the natural we see ashes. And we're like, everything burned up. <laughs> but those remains are more powerful than you know. Because it's the evidence of everything you walk through. Sometimes I'll say, you know, people be like, oh, man, I want to pray like you. I'm like, honey, you don't know the cost of my oil and my alabaster box. You want to see the pile of ashes? Because I'm still on the altar. I have not arrived. I'm still there. He's still purifying me. He's still refining me. He is still doing that. So here's what the Lord told me to say. He says, you have remained. And although you've suffered hurt, pain, loss, total destruction, God says, I'm giving you beauty for those ashes. Yes. Don't stay in the ruins. It's time to leave that place. Yes. You know, sometimes um, I remember uh, there was a woman. Remember the fire in paradise? You know, an entire town was annihilated, just burned to the ground. And this woman was so powerful because she heard the fire was coming, and the only thing she grabbed in her car was her six Bibles and got in her car and drove. I heard about her because it was a, uh, her daughter's a friend of mine, and I saw it on Facebook, and I immediately was like, they got her to Sutter Hospital in Antioch. And I was like, I'm coming to see your mom because I want to see this woman that in that moment, that's what she grabbed. I want to meet this person. Because that's a remnant. It's fire. And she's like, let me get my word. I need my word. Because she understood that that's what remains. See, the enemy can still kill and destroy, but he can't take the word. He cannot take God's word from your heart. That's why he says, 
you know, place it on your heart. Right? Tattoo it. Okay, that's the tattoo you can get of the word of God. Okay. People are like, oh, God. I have a tattoo too. Okay. I was 21 once. Okay. And so I want to read a couple things to you here. Second Chronicles 36, 18, 20 says, and all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke, let me get to my notes here, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious possessions and those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, and where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. So this is the king at the time. And this is what was happening to the people of God. Everything was stolen from them. Everything burned to the ground. They had nothing left. So imagine, right, everything you own is literally being taken away, burned, um, desecrated, even the house of God, burned to the ground, their place of worship. So imagine what they're dealing with here, what's going on in their mind, you know, the, the pain and the, the agony and, you know, the upset and just bitterness. I mean, you know those things because we've all, if we're honest, have to have loss in our lives. There have been people we've lost or things we've lost or promises we've lost or, you know, jobs we've lost or there was businesses we've lost. Whatever it is, we've all gone through loss. Right? We've all gone through it. And what happens from that? What happens from that? And so in Ezra 1, 3 through 4, this is what is said. It says, who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So what was happening here is they were rebuilding. And I believe the Lord wanted to say that to someone in the room. Many of you, God is rebuilding. He's rebuilding. You know, he's even rebuilding your relationship with him. Because sometimes when God doesn't show up, it's, a, it's like a loss. It's like we lost something. We lost our faith. We lose our hope. If we're really honest. But he's like, no, I want to rebuild that in you because you're my remnant. And in these days, I need you to be so strong in my foundation and who I am for you that you will not be moved. You will remain. You will remain. He's rebuilding your family. God is rebuilding families. Yes, Lord. And even when we don't see it, he's working. He's working. But what God is calling you to do is not 
the uh, the voice. He's just saying, get the hammer and start building. Yes. Build a house of prayer. Start praying for your family members. Yes. Put them on the altar. Because what happens is, is we try to play God. And we try to fix up. But God says, no, just put them on the altar. I got this. So it's so powerful what was happening here is because, you know, the king had basically said to them, let's start rebuilding here. Let's, let's go. Let's get our tools. Let's all do this and start rebuilding because we have a promise. We have a promise from God. And in Ezra 3, 1 through 4, I want to read this because it's so powerful what comes to pass. And what they did in response of such a great loss and God rebuilding. It says, and when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man in Jerusalem. So they were in unity on one accord. Then Joshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shotel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its basis. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. I want to break this down to you. They were afraid because they were in captivity and now they were coming out, but there was still fear that had planted in their heart. And they did the one thing that they knew to do, build an altar to the Lord and begin to burn the sacrifices as they were taught growing up. This is what they did to do these things. The word had been implanted in them. They knew what to do. In spite of fear, I want you to catch that. In spite of fear, in spite of pain, they still built the altar. They still burned the sacrifices. And what God began to show me is that many times when things happen, we stop. Serving, giving, praying. We know what to do. But because of fear, we forget. Fear can cause a mighty man of God to run from someone who just sent a message. She didn't even come herself. That's what fear will do. It will cause you to go and hide and run. But God says, you know what to do. You know what to do because it has been implanted in your heart. That's why I started off in 
you got to have the word. Because when you have the word of God, it's in your heart. You know what to do. And so it's kind of like when I go to my job, I'm in HR on my job. And when someone comes to my office and there's an issue, I know exactly what to do. I go into action. Because my job is to take care of the team member and make sure they're good. When things come your way, you know exactly what to do. You cry out to God. You begin to pray. You begin to say, Lord, let me put myself on the altar. What is it that's going on in me that you want to release in my life? We spend a lot of time blaming the other person. But God says, this is about you and your heart. The word was in their heart. And they just began to move out of that place. And so this is what I want to share. It says, this is God's holy remnant. Despite it all, he's remained. The Lord says, I'm rewarding my remnant. What's the reward? Him. His glory. His presence. When the children of Israel were crying out to the Lord, God told Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. He's heard you. And he's rewarding you. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hmm. When we pick up in Ezra 3.10, it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of, the da of David, king of Israel. And they sang, responsively praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever toward Israel then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid but many of the priests and Levites and this of the this temple was laid before their eyes Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. Remnants worship. Yes. Notice we spent a lot of time in worship. So it's not, you know, a two minute like jig right we're spending a lot of time in worship and notice that the sound that they made with their worship it was like they couldn't discern what was happening because even though they were going through hardship they were still worshiping in the middle of that so they were worshiping in their pain they were worshiping in their despair and there was a sound that was coming and they're like what is that sound it was heard afar off have you ever just had a moment in the midst of your hurt and your pain and just shouted 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Victory belongs to you, Lord. If you haven't, that's your breakthrough. Praise is your breakthrough. Listen, pain is going to happen. Hurt is going to happen. Loss is going to happen. It's not going to be a perfect thing. And that's the thing we got to we gotta get real. But we know what to do. We begin to pray. We get, begin to praise. Just start shouting. I'm that woman on the freeway that's singing at the top of my lungs. And the people are like, what the world? Because I'm like, oh, praise the hallelujah. <laughs> and the prayers are so funny. <laughs> right? I am singing at the top of my lungs because I want to give the devil a headache. Worshiping praise is so powerful because the enemy was a praiser. So have you ever noticed that he'll try to mess up your praise and your worship? Mess it up because he's jealous. He can't do that. He wants to do what you're doing. So sing a little louder. Make it real. Because I get to do this. I'm free in God. Because see, he's just an unemployed musician. Praise that comes from those who've remained. You've kept praying, you've kept fasting, you've kept standing on his word. And when you open your mouth to praise, there's a sound of victory that will be released. I dare you to open your mouth right now and release a sound of heaven, a sound of victory, a sound of freedom, a sound of breakthrough. to love. So I'm giving him all my worship. I'm not worried about this person on the left or this person on the right. They might just get the overflow. Because I'm just worshiping God. Because, see, I they don't know. And so from the outside, they're like, what is she doing? But I'm lost in worship. Because my daddy in heaven has reached out his arms to me and he's like, come here, daughter. Let me twirl you around. Let's dance like David danced, but we gonna keep our clothes on. 
in Jesus' name. First Samuel 1, 6 through 7 says, and her rival also provoked her. Okay, so I want to share this. Oh my gosh, this is so powerful because this morning I got up and I was praying. And the Lord's like, I want you to read Hannah. I want you to just, I want you to take a minute and read what this woman was was doing and what she birthed. It's something so powerful. Because you see, Hannah was barren. I know what that's like, because I was told I couldn't have kids. I know exactly what that feels like when someone says, you are barren. You're bitter. It's like, why? Why me? Why can't this happen? You know, you just go through all of that thing. And so, Hannah's husband had two wives, right? Hannah and Paniah. And in 1 Samuel 1, 6 through 7, it begins to talk about what was happening with Penina. And it says, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up in the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Isn't it something? That we get people around us that can provoke us. Yeah. That can cause you to come out of your character. Yeah. You're like, I'm saved, but I might come somebody. <laughs> and pray later. <laughs> I mean, am I the only one? It's like you come out of camp. Oh, in the world. They're provoking me. Yes. Like, I may lay hands on you and repent later. <laughs> but think about this. This was someone who was literally provoking her. Oh, look at you. Oh, yeah. Now you can. And she just, because she could have children. And she was just provoking her. And so it was doing something to her. So think about the pain. You know, even for those of us, you know, you may have grown up in a place where there were words that hurt, that were spoken over you, and you still can't shake it. You still can't shake it to this day. And you're 42, 52, 62, 52, right? But it's like you can't shake it because it, it did something in your heart. Words hurt. Right? That's why God said the power of life and death are in your tongue. You can speak life or you can speak death. <laughs> and so think about what she's going through. Think about that. So what has been birthed out of your pain and bitterness? What has been birthed out of your pain and bitterness? Think about that for a minute. Because sometimes we think in order to actually produce, for God to use you, you have to have it all together. But out of her pain, out of her pain and bitterness, God says, I'm going to give you a son, and that son is going to be a remnant. Out of her pain, that's what was birthed. 
the provoking, the taunting of the enemy. How can you conceive, perceive, and receive from that place? How? But what you thought was barren or closed up or dead, God says, because of your faithfulness to me, I'm going to be faithful to my word. 1 Samuel 1.20 says, so it came to pass in the process of time. I need you to catch that. Write that down. In the process of time. There's a process. This was a process. In the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Hannah birthed a remnant. I said, I don't know what you're carrying, but don't confuse the pains of promise with pains on purpose. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't confuse the pains of promise with the pains on purpose. Don't confuse that. Because sometimes, because of pain, we literally want to retreat. We're like, I can't handle this. I can't do this. But out of that place, she birthed a mighty prophet to the nations. Kings couldn't move unless Samuel spoke. She birthed a remnant. What are you carrying, woman of God? See, you think the pain is God's like punishing you, but you're just in labor. Yes. Those are contractions. Yes. You're crowning. Yes. Start pushing. Yes. Ephesians 2.19 Oh no, let me go back. Listen, you're about to give birth to the next move of God. You are about to give birth to the next move of God. You're about to see his promises come to pass because you have remained. God says, I'm rewarding my remnant. Yes. Ephesians 2, 19, says this. And I'm going to start to close. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You see, tonight we're gonna come out of the ashes. We're gonna come out of the shadows, out of hiding. God says beauty for ashes, joy for sadness, garment of praise, for a spirit of heaviness. He says, I'm rewarding my remnant. I don't know who needs to hear this because I just kept hearing it. Because you've gone through some things. You've walked through some 
dark valleys. You've had some disappointments and setbacks. You've had loss. But you still stood. You still remained. It wasn't easy. Oh, it wasn't easy. There were times when it was like you wanted to give up. Throw in the towel, quit. But there was something, a force, that just kept you getting up and taking another step. I know from my own personal experience that grief can cripple you. It will try to take you down a path that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go down that path. But just like Jesus, it was for the joy set before me. I've endured. It was good that I was afflicted. I wouldn't be standing here today. I believe it's in Ecclesiastes, if I'm right, it talks about the end of a thing is better than the beginning. Not messing up. Because the Lord led me to that. I'm like, what are you trying to tell? something ends, it's better. That relationship, that position, <laughs> the thing that I held on to, how is it better when it ends? And you know what God began to show me? When something ends, like you know when you see a movie? And at the end of the movie, you see all the credits. And all the people who put in all the hard work for that movie. That's at the end. That's at the end of the movie. They don't show you what the, the sound guy did and the caterer did and the, the assistant did at the beginning. They show you all the blood, sweat, and tears that was put into putting on that movie. And he began to show me, he said, you know, Renisa, at the end of this, there's going to be credits rolling. And the world is going to see who gets all the credit. Why you're standing here right now, 
why this remnant conference is happening. The world is going to see who gets the credit at the end of this. It's God. He gets all the credit. So I don't know who needs to just hear that right now. The end of a thing is better. Because if it would have, if it never ended, I wouldn't have learned some things through the process. I would have never drawn as close to the Lord as I did. I would have not seen the glory of God touch my mom and see her take her last breath and see him take her up to glory. I would have never seen that. God said, I need you to see that. Because I want you to know I'm doing something. I'm a powerful God. And I can restore. And I can heal. And I can make all things new. The Lord just keeps saying, stop focusing on the ashes. He's turning it all around. Stop focusing on the ruins. It's like playing like a movie. You keep playing it over and over. Everything that was taken away, everything that was lost, all the disappointments. He said, no more. Tonight is your night where he's turning it all around. Beauty for ashes. Joy. And he wants to lavish his love upon you. So, can I have my prayer uh, partners come up now, please? And I want to give you an opportunity um, for us just to pray with you tonight. Because we want you to be able to go through the rest of this time tomorrow. We want you to be in a place where your heart is completely healed and open and ready to receive and actually hear from him. So we don't want you to leave this place the way you came. Whatever it is that you need to let go of, we want you just to let it go. This is the altar. Lord, I'm the sacrifice. Let my yes be a sweet smelling fragrance and aroma to you. You just moving up here is your yes to him. And before we move into that, I have to be obedient because I want to make sure that every single person in this room knows the God I'm talking about. You may hear me talking and saying, wow, that's awesome. That's just great. But I don't know. I don't know that God you speak of. I want to give you an invitation. You know, he showed me, he said, whosoever will come. You may have come with a friend. She dragged you here. She's like, come on, girl, we're going to get a meatball. <laughs> but I believe that you're going to get more that than a bag of chicks, honey. More than a meatball. <laughs> but listen, I want to give an opportunity in this moment for anyone 
who doesn't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, as your personal Savior, and you really want this relationship because he wants to turn those ashes into beauty, and you hear that word, and you're, there's a tug, there's a pull, I want that, I want that. And so I want to release to you now the invitation of salvation. So what I'd like is every eye closed in here. Because this is a holy moment. God has been waiting for this moment to meet you. And if you are in this room, if you've never said yes to the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, or you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I see your hand, sis. I see your hand. Yes, thank you, Lord. Yes, I see your hands. Thank you, Lord. He's tugging on your heart. Your heart's beating super fast, but that's him. That's him. He loves you so much. He loves you. Anyone else want to rededicate their lives? Say yes to Jesus. Amen. I see you. I see you. And so it's a simple prayer that we say. And for those of you that raise your hand, you can repeat after me. We can all say this because I get saved about 30,000 times a day. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. I accept you as my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I confess my sins to you. Wash me clean. I am now your daughter. I belong to you. Use my life for your glory. Amen and amen. Welcome to the family, sisters. Amen. If you need prayer specifically, you've gone through some loss and some pain. I want these women here. These women right here, they've been preparing for me. And I want you to come and allow them to pray with you, to leave that thing on the altar. Don't pick it up, leave it, leave it. Because God wants to do something very, very powerful this weekend in your life. So if you need prayer, come on up. I want you to just start to move out of your seat. Start, start to move, start to move. God is moving right now in this moment. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.